Our God is indeed a great God, and He provides us with living hope through the mercy and grace of His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to remind you this morning of the mercy and grace that we have been singing about and will continue to sing about. Mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we do not deserve. You've heard that phrase, those phrases before perhaps, but I want you to think about the words that we're singing. When we sing about God's mercy, we're singing about His forgiveness of our sins. When we sing about God's grace, we're singing about the eternal life that the Lord has given to us through the resurrection of His Son. And we praise the Lord that both of these blessings, mercy and grace, are ours in Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to emphasize to you the first of those blessings, mercy. God not giving us what we deserve. We see God's great mercy clearly on display in a story at the end of the 7th chapter and the beginning of the 8th chapter of John's gospel. Jesus had an encounter with a woman who had sinned, and she was called out in public for what she had done. But the Messiah showed her mercy. Jesus shows mercy to sinners. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn there. John chapter 7, verse 53. The last verse in that chapter, as I preach to you this message, pericope adultery. And as you turn in your Bibles to that passage, some of you have a confused look on your face. You're shocked and surprised to find that there is no John chapter 7, verse 53. How many of you just went, Jake, what are you talking about, John 7, 53? That will be the case if you're not using a King James Version, a New King James Version, a New American Standard Bible, or a Christian Standard Bible. So you'll have to follow along with the text on the screen behind me. And though I'm not going to get bogged down in the shallow swamps of textual criticism this morning by sharing with you the academic arguments about why this pericope, adultery, passage of adultery should be included in the printed text, I do have with me a scholarly summary of some statements that was written by yours truly. If you'd like to read it sometime, I'll be happy to get you a copy of the reasons why it should be included in Scripture. I'm just simply going to tell you that this passage of Scripture is indeed Scripture. And so I'm going to read it and preach it to you as Scripture this morning. You good with that? All right, so let's read John chapter 7, verse 53 through John chapter 8, verse 11. And everyone went to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery 
in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said testing him. That they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. As though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. From these verses today, we get this main idea. The Messiah shows mercy to sinners. I want to remind you of the purpose statement in John's gospel at the very end of John's gospel in John chapter 20 verses 30 through 31 John said there are many things other things that Jesus did which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah and the Son of God and that by believing in him you might have life in his name so everything that Jesus said and did that John recorded points to how Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and how He gives life to those who believe in Him. In this passage, we see Jesus, the Messiah, showing mercy to sinners. And we see this idea play out in the three sections of the story. In the first section, we see the accusation of adultery. You can note this in verses 1 through 5. Please keep in mind what was going on in the life and ministry of Jesus at this point. Last week we looked at the beginning of John chapter 7 verses 1 through 52 and saw how people are either defining Jesus as a liar, a lunatic, or as the Lord that he truly is. Many of the religious leaders were already plotting how to kill Jesus because of their jealousy and pride. They couldn't catch him in a trap. No matter what they did, Jesus outsmarted them. No matter what they said, Jesus outwitted them. So they just went home, John 7, 53 says, to their own houses. But evidently, that's where the scheming continued. Jesus didn't go to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 1 says. Just outside Jerusalem, most likely to pray 
as had become a custom of his to do when he visited the city. You can see that noted in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. It's kind of like Jesus had a favorite prayer spot. The next day, Jesus picked up where he left off, went back to the temple and kept preaching and teaching. And that's when things got interesting. The scheming the night before by these religious leaders had led to them coming up with an idea to put Jesus in a catch-22. That is, no matter what he decided, they would have something to accuse Jesus of. And here's what happened. In the middle of Jesus' teaching, a ruckus broke out in the back of the crowd. And I'm just picturing this scenario in my mind's eye. As a half-naked woman was being forcibly brought to Jesus' feet by the scribes and Pharisees. These religious leaders stated their accusation against the woman that they threw down at Jesus' feet. She was caught in adultery in the very act itself. I don't think I have to spell this out for you, but I want to make sure you understand the situation. This woman had been caught in the act of sexual intercourse with a man who was not her husband. The men who brought her to Jesus were ready to throw the book at her by throwing stones at her to kill her for her sinful act. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 in the Old Testament says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, if you paid careful attention to that Old Testament quote, you'll notice that there's something missing from these scribes and Pharisees' accusation. And it's not just a what that's missing, but a who. The man who was engaged in the evil act of adultery with this woman. Because of his absence, it kind of leads me to some suspicions that I can't thoroughly and fully investigate because I can't talk to any of these people who are involved. It happened a couple thousand years ago. I wasn't alive back then. But allow me to share some of my suspicions with you. Maybe this man was one of their own, a scribe or a Pharisee. After all, they all went to their own houses, chapter 7, verse 53, and perhaps knowing a particular man's vice in their midst, they waited for the moment that they knew was going to occur and knew that this woman was going to enter into his house. And they decided to enter in, bust down the door, and drag this woman before Jesus. Not ratting out their friend, but kind of exposing the evil that they knew their friend was up to without really, you know, getting on to him. Because after all, they were more concerned about Jesus and killing him. And perhaps in their minds, in order to obey the Old Testament law, they found a loophole. They said, you know, you know what? Maybe we can drag this woman but not have to bring our friend before Jesus. Perhaps these experts in the law thought they had a loophole to let their friend go because maybe he was unmarried. 
And maybe the woman was not Jewish and therefore in their minds was not a neighbor's wife. This is how their minds worked after all. They cared about the letter of the law and not the heart of it. I may be going down a rabbit trail without any evidence for a real trial, so before I get any further down that track, the point I want you to see is that the religious leaders were playing a dirty game, plotting Jesus' death, and this woman that they had drugged and laid before his feet was really nothing more than collateral damage to them. They were willing to see this woman die in the city streets so that they could get to Jesus. And not just get to Jesus to follow him, but get to Jesus to accuse him of wrong so that he might be found guilty and executed. But Jesus viewed things differently than the Jews of his day. John noted earlier in his gospel that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The religious leaders were bent on legalistically keeping the letter of the law, but Jesus was set on keeping the heart of God's Word. The Messiah shows mercy to sinners. These religious leaders were ready to judge and condemn. Jesus was ready to show mercy. And we continue to see this idea in the second section of the story. I want you to notice the conviction of conscience in verses 6 through 9. And really, I want you to understand what these scribes and Pharisees were trying to do to Jesus. I mentioned to you that they were trying to put him in a position where he couldn't win. That no matter what decision he made, he would be in the wrong. And so here's what they were doing. Verse 6 says they were testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. In order to obey the Old Testament law, Jesus would need to call the guilty party guilty. And the offense would be punishable by death. Whether Jesus actually picked up a stone to throw at her and kill her by stoning, or Jesus just said she's guilty and deserving of death and the others picked up stones to throw at her, Jesus would have been the one to pronounce sentencing upon this woman. If Jesus did follow through with the execution of this woman, then the Jewish leaders who wanted him dead could then go to the Roman officials and report him for administering the death penalty, something that the Jews of Jerusalem were not authorized to carry out. Although they did on some occasions, they played the political game and used everything that they could for their own corruption and advantage. If Jesus did not obey the Old Testament law, well then in the eyes of all these Jews, Jesus was guilty of breaking God's law, just as this woman caught in adultery had done. And these scribes and Pharisees, you, you just kind of see them standing there with that smirk on their face. That smirk that some of you teachers have already seen in your classroom after the first week of school. I've done something wrong and there's nothing you can do about it. But you teachers are smart. Jesus was smart too. He's wise. 
He knew exactly what to do. And I love what he does here, don't you? It says in verse 6 that he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Selective hearing. It's a spiritual gift sometimes. And here's what happened. They, they keep asking him, what do you say? What are you going to do about this, Jesus? Are you baffled and confused? You don't know what to do, do you? You can't stone her, but you can't not. We've got you now. And you can see Jesus not smiling because he knows better, but just hurting and aching in his heart. Feeling sorrow for this woman, but also sorrow for these jealous Jews who are so eager to execute Jesus that they're willing to see this woman pay the death penalty for her sins. It's something that you may want to make a note of. The only time in the entire Gospel of John that the word scribe is used is here in verse 3. Some people say that's evidence for why this passage shouldn't be included in the Gospel of John. I think it's more evidence that it should be. The Apostle John has a way of using physical things and tying them into the spiritual truth that Jesus is presenting. Jesus would talk to a man named Nicodemus in the middle of the night when it was dark about how men don't want to come to the light for fear that their deeds may be exposed. John's using physical darkness and spiritual light. Here in John chapter 8, the only time that the word scribe is used, we see Jesus writing with his finger in the dirt. Why is that so important? Well, here's why. You know what a scribe's job was, right? It's to write stuff down. And that's all they did. Copied God's word. Copied the teachings of rabbis. Listed things out. Kept meticulous records. Why is John using this word scribe here? On purpose. Jesus stooped down in the dirt and wrote with his finger. Interestingly enough, this is also the only time, not just in the Gospel of John, but the only time in Scripture that we see Jesus himself writing something down. Now, you might recall a passage in the Old Testament where the Lord with his hand wrote down a word of judgment. If you're familiar with the prophet Daniel and Daniel standing in the court, of the king, after the king has been drunk, using articles from the temple that has been destroyed, the hand of God came down and wrote on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekelupharsin. You've been weighed, you've been measured, you're going to be judged tonight. The end is here, it's over. But as Jesus stoops down to write with his finger in the dirt, Jesus is not about to pronounce judgment upon this woman and condemn her. He's about to do something entirely different. He's about to show her mercy. I've already shared with you some of my suspicions about 
why a man was not involved in this accusation of adultery. I want to share with you some other speculations that not just I've had in my mind, but that other preachers, pastors, biblical scholars have had over the years. Because you know what happens. Jesus says, the one who's without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. He goes back to the ground and begins to write with his finger. Verse 9 says, they heard it. Jesus pretended like he didn't hear them at first. They heard Jesus the first time and the only time he gave them his answer. And they were convicted by their own conscience. And they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. As some preachers have speculated that as Jesus was scribbling in the dirt with his finger, that he began to write out the sins that these men in the crowd who were so eager to stone the woman had committed themselves. Some speculate that maybe Jesus wasn't writing down their sins, but was perhaps writing down the names of the men who had known that this adulterous affair was taking place and known when they could catch this woman in the act of adultery. And Jesus is writing their names in the sand, oldest to youngest in order, so that they're caught red-handed in the mess that they're in. We don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day. But we do know that what Jesus did and what Jesus said in showing mercy brought such conviction to those guilty sinners' hearts that they could not pick up stones and throw them at the woman. They were convicted in their conscience and just had to leave. They left Jesus alone with the woman there in the midst. Their consciences were convicted. They knew the wrong that they had done. And though they were ready to judge and condemn this woman, they themselves did not want to be judged and condemned. And so they walked away. Isn't this the case with us sometimes? We point out other people's sins. But when the Lord looks through the hardness of our heart, and in His piercing gaze, He says, yep, I know you too. I know what you've thought. I know what you've said. I know what you've done. I know what you haven't done in disobedience to me. Do you really want to play the game? I'm better than so and so. How many of the men in the crowd that day, though they may not have been caught in the very act of adultery, had lusted after a woman in their heart? How many of the men in the crowd that day had disregarded God's word by not telling the truth how many of the men in the crowd that day had been guilty of plotting murder 
the Messiah shows mercy to sinners. And we continue to see this idea in the third section of the story. I want you to notice the cancellation of condemnation in verses 10 and 11. When Jesus raised himself up, saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And we can just put yourself as best you can in that woman's shoes. She may not have been wearing shoes that day. There on the dirt, on the ground, publicly exposed. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, for the sinner that she was. Head hanging down, thinking at any moment, these crazy people are about to start pelting me with rocks and kill me. And Jesus says, woman, where are those people that accused you? And as she slowly lifts up her head, That look of panic and how can I survive this on her face and tears streaming down her cheeks. There's nobody else around. But she sees this man standing before her. The one who asked her, has no one condemned you? And she just answered As best she could, with a squeaking and frail voice, no one, neither do I condemn you, Jesus said, go and sin no more. The truth is that Jesus is the only one there that day who actually had the authority to condemn the woman. Jesus was without sin. Yet he was the one man who did not condemn her. He did not forgive her of her sin because it was not a big deal. He did not forgive her of her sin because someone had sinned worse than she did. He did not forgive her of her sin so that she could go and sin some more. Her sin was a shameful act in the eyes of a holy God. And in the eyes of God's holy son, Jesus, the Messiah, he looked down upon her with compassion and he forgave her. He let the offense go. It was a big deal. It was a horrible thing. But Jesus gave her Mercy. He did not give her what she deserved. And this is the mercy that Jesus shows guilty sinners like you and I, here and now, today. Every single one of us has sinned. Sin is anything that you think, anything that you say. Anything that you do and anything you don't do in disobedience to God. 
And because of your sin, because of my sin, we stand guilty before a holy and perfect God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages, the paycheck, the penalty of sin is death. That is what we deserve. But Jesus does not give us what we deserve. The Bible goes on to say that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says. That while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God showed us his love in this way. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The mercy of God. The mercy of the Messiah. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want to ask you, each and every one of you who are here this morning. Have you sinned? You don't have to answer that out loud. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Because the truth is, I know the answer. Because if somebody asked me, I'd raise my hand and say yes too. Just like you. But it's not just that I know you've sinned. It's not just that you know you've sinned. God knows you've sinned. And He's the one who has no sin. He's the one who's never sinned and will never sin. He's the one. Who has the authority to judge and condemn you for the wrong that you've done. And to administer the death penalty that you deserve. But I also want to ask you this question. Have you experienced the mercy of the Messiah? Have you been the one? With your head hung down in shame. Tears streaming down your face because you know the wrong that you've done. Have you heard the voice of the Messiah call to you and say, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hear me and understand. This woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 is not the only one That Jesus shows mercy to. Jesus shows mercy to all who would come to him in repentance and faith. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you experienced the mercy of the Messiah? Your sin is a big deal. But God wants to forgive you for your big mistakes. You have done some things that are horribly wrong. But God in His holiness wants to extend to you compassion. If you have never experienced the mercy of the Messiah. I want to invite you this morning. To come 
to Christ. In just a moment, a song of invitation is going to be played. And when this song is played, I'm going to ask you guys to stand up and we're going to sing it together. But there may be some of you who don't just need to stand up and sing this invitation hymn. You need to stand up and you need to come to know Jesus. You need to come to the Messiah to receive mercy from Him so that you can have forgiveness of sins. So that you can receive grace from Him and the promise of eternal life. And if that's you this morning, I want to ask you to take a literal step of faith. And when I ask you to stand up in just a few moments and sing this hymn of invitation, I want to ask you to walk right down here in front, right down here to me and say, Jake, I know I'm a sinner, but I know the Messiah shows mercy and I want to experience his mercy. Say, Jake, there's no way I can do that. Everybody's going to be looking at me and know that I'm a sinner. But guess what? You can look right back at them because they're a sinner too. Every single person in this room has done wrong in the eyes of God. There are some who have experienced the mercy of Christ and been forgiven. And there's some who haven't. I want all of you to know the mercy of God. I first experienced that mercy as a six-year-old boy when I gave my life to Jesus. And I haven't lived a perfect life since then. I wish I could tell you that after I received mercy from Jesus, I went up and sinned no more, not ever again. The truth is I've still made some mistakes even in my Christian life. I've had to come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You forgave me. Already, you already died on the cross for my sins, and I believed you rose again. Why am I going back to this sin? I've had to ask him to forgive me. And you know what's happened? Every time, he's forgiven me. Every time, without fail. Folks, there may be some of you here this morning, you've already experienced mercy from the Messiah because you've truly come to know Jesus. But there's sin in your life that you haven't confessed. God already knows about it. There's no reason to hide it. He wants to forgive you. There's no reason to try to avoid Him. If that's you this morning, if you're already a Christian, I want to ask you when we stand up to sing this hymn of invitation, not just to stand up and sing, but I want to ask you to stand up and take a literal step of repentance and faith and walk down here to the steps of this altar. Say, God, I know I've done wrong. And I know your son Jesus has saved me from my sins. But God, I've made some mistakes. And I need to ask you to forgive me. Would you come and experience the mercy of the Messiah in your Christian life here and now today? This altar is open. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. As God calls you today, would you come to Jesus?
the Messiah who shows mercy.